0: Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com, and this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. Um, This episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today uh, by visiting FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. And so, folks, today we have a special treat. I have a, a friend of mine, Rick George, who I met when I went down to Florida to meet with the good folks at FHE Health. And uh, Rick is a retired Palm Beach County um, uh, folk person with the Palm Beach County uh, Fire and Rescue Service. And he's got an interesting story that he's going to share with us today about his life and just uh, the blessings that you have in recovery. And it just goes to show that, you know, you get into recovery, you never know where you're going to be led, you never know where you're going to end up. And um, he's going to give us his introduction, but just some of the things that um, you should know about him growing up. And again, he's going to talk about sort of his addiction background, but, you know, he started out life in building construction and then got into the fire service after getting into recovery. And that's just a fantastic story. And I want to hear more about that. And then the doors just kept opening up. He got into instructing and he got into um, working with uh, PTSD and got into um, teaching resiliency uh, around the around the country. In fact, he's that's what he's doing right now. So in his retirement, I guess he's close to four years retired now, and, and is just teaching. He's got his own company, which he's going to talk about, and is just helping people all around the country because that's what we do in recovery. So I had the great pleasure of meeting him when I went down to do some training myself with FHE Health, and it's just a great pleasure and an honor to have uh, Rick George on the program today. So, Rick, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike. So uh, it was a nice intro. Oh, well, uh, thank prior you. Part of me getting sober. Nobody ever talked to me like that.
0: <laughs> well, tell us a little bit, tell us some more about your background and cause you have a really interesting story.
1: Yeah. My, um, my story turns out like many people that grow up in South Florida. I live in South Florida. I grew up down here. Um, my parents are Cuban refugees. Uh, when Castro took over Cuba, my father was an orthopedic surgeon and, um, he was automatically uh, brought into the the military. And um, Che Guevara, he did not agree with that. He was losing his freedoms. He saw the writing on the wall, the dictatorship starting to unfold in front of him. And um, so he fled. Che Guevara was already uh, murdering people left and right. Came to uh, the United States and um, had to go through everything all over again. Had to uh, take the state board or the, the boards. For the, uh, the doctor the doctor boards from there <clears throat> excuse me the medical boards from there went through his internship and his residency all over again and to regain the status that he once had my mother was the same she was a pharmacist so I, I come from a family that um, has had a lot of struggles and um, uh, you know to my to my benefit they're extremely resilient and uh, our family is like ridiculous, resilient. The, the things that, you know, my parents, my grandparents, my brothers, my cousins, aunties and uncles have, have overcome is um, it's very humbling and very honorable. And so, uh, you know, when when I started my life out, it wasn't uh, exactly honorable or Humbling. It was actually, um, uh, I, my family was very close. It was a lot of love. There wasn't any abuse. There was no alcoholism rampant or any of that, you know? Um, but I was that kid, man, uh, back to the South Florida scene. Uh, once I, I got old enough, um, I rebelled against all of the foundation and the morals and principles and values that were instilled in me that my parents did, you know, that my parents tried to instill in me as I was growing up and uh, ran with a a bad crowd. And when I say bad crowd, a lot of people tell you it's a bad crowd. These were not nice people. And as a result, I turned to not such a nice person. Um, The extent of smuggling and uh, dealing um, violence, uh, there there was, uh, I don't think you can be involved in that scene without including those things and it corrupts. it it, it will corrupt you to your soul and that's what it did to me and um, I think that's what was necessary for me I I don't think that God ever tests us but I think that he will utilize certain circumstances to refine you and um, to give you the opportunity to actually do God's will which we'll talk about in a little bit but my sobriety date is uh, November 1987 That is 34 years, God willing, this November for all you mathematicians. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I am one of those uh, one white chip wonders. That means I only uh, went to rehab for six months and uh, I went to uh, a three-quarter way house, they called it. And um, there's more freedom than a halfway house and a three-quarter way house, not as many house meetings and regulations. And uh, I was there for two months. I was, I was, uh. It's about eight months total. And um, from there, uh, I came back home and started going to meetings. And it was probably that foundation that led me to only having one white That and the fear of what I left behind. Um, that was back in the day. You remember the, the show Cops when it first started with Nick Navarro? Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of my friends were on that. Colleagues, I should say. That's a nice word for saying other guys that I used to deal drugs with Um, and they were getting arrested and busted and and, uh, a lot of home invasions, just a lot of violence. And um, I think a a healthy dose of fear of that, that my soul was just corrupted and broken and that uh, I had gotten new information and uh, it it became a challenge and um so there was a healthy you know it was a healthy balance of fear and challenge so um i uh i hid out in meetings for the first uh first year of my sobriety i i went to meetings i was in another fellowship i was in uh narcotics anonymous and um the the, the reason is real simple uh the girls were prettier um that's why i went you know it, it had nothing to do with sobriety or anything else it's that um i uh i transfer I transfer my weaknesses, addictions, whatever you call them, your your strongholds, your uh, you know your triggers. I transfer from one to the other. So if it's not drugs or alcohol, it could be violence, it could be fast cars, it could be eating, it could be women, it could be anything. And um, yeah, that was it at the time, women. And uh, I uh, I think right around three years sobriety. Um, I guess the the fact for anybody that's listening is I uh I didn't in in my first year of sobriety I uh, met a girl after my first year got married let me back up in my first year I had an incredible sponsor when I started and this man was worked these steps and I said well how long do you want me to take out what's the time frame what's you know I didn't know anything about it there, there's are spiritual principles and all I knew about spiritual principles like faith hope and joy those were women's names I, I, I didn't understand what faith was I didn't know what joy was you know I didn't know what hope was and it wasn't until I recognized how hopeless my life was and I had a first solution that I experienced hope that I was able to measure it and go oh my god bro you've been living dark man this is ugly you know, and that 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 kind of shocked me. But it it, it caught me by surprise. But it really opened my eyes. And um, so we worked. Uh, we went through all twelve steps in my probably about ten months, eleven months. Um, I hear some people, you know, their sponsor keeps them on the first step for the first or you know a extended period of time because they they have this opinion that that's the only one that needs to be worked perfectly and whatnot that's not my experience you know my experience was not that Uh, my experience was my sponsor told me he says this is new information and the more new information you have to combat your old information the better off you're going to be you know we want to include options so the example was if we're removing something from the center we talk about this hole in our soul and we try to fill it with all this crap right drugs alcohol women cars money clothing jobs people we hang out with people places we hang out at um, all of that when we remove that crap it leaves that hole there and if you don't replace it with something else he told me he says you're going to go back to your default and you're going to fill it with that old stuff again and that's where the that's where the, the relapses happen so I took his advice excuse me was smoking a cigar and it was about to go out. So, uh, I, uh, <laughs> that's one of the, one of the, one of the, that's one of my few, it's one of my few messages that I have, you know, in, in, uh, sobriety. I don't, I don't run into burning buildings anymore. I don't drive fast anymore. I smoke cigars. You know? <laughs> um, so, uh, that first year after that, um, establishing my sobriety and stuff. I met a girl, got married, um, that uh, that led to three children um, which is uh, I don't recommend that to anybody it's a very expensive hobby children Um but <laughs> That's they, true there are a very there's a lot of reward involved in it too uh, I actually learned about love from my children no place else I don't, I don't know how to explain it when you when you see your child being born and you know that you're a part of that and the way they look at you I mean you might experience something like that with a dog but it, it's like a hundred times that when it's a child, you know. Um, and so I, I really started to get my my view of what love looks like from when I had children. Uh, my first three years of sobriety um, was nothing short of disastrous. Uh, I Married a woman I shouldn't freaking married, um, you know. But I I, uh, I hung out with a group of guys in that other fellowship, and um, this is I I, I say this. Uh, because it's important for people to understand that just cause you go to meetings and you're abstaining and all that, eh, it doesn't make you a freaking great citizen. Okay. It doesn't make you a model citizen. It doesn't make you honorable. It doesn't mean you're living spiritual principles. My first three years, we used to go down to the Fort Lauderdale strip before they cleaned it up. And, uh, we were rural drug dealers. That's how I made my money. We'd be drug dealers up. We heard them, and, um, took their money. I, I was, a uh, essentially a silver thug nothing had changed in my life i just was no longer getting higher drinking as as a result i was 35 pounds heavier and just that much more dangerous um so when i was at a convention a series of events occurred and um my sponsor uh something happened that i'm not real proud of you know i was uh i was I was at this convention and um i was on the swing it's a big swing. It's outdoors. It's SeaWorld in Orlando. And uh, on the swing, I had met a girl, and we were on the swing, and we were doing something very inappropriate on the swing. And uh, thinking nobody knew anything, and went back to the hotel later. And all my these guys that I hung out with, this this posse of thugs that I hung out with, um, were all high fiving me. I was like the big man, you know and uh, my sponsor walked up and said hey you want to have breakfast tomorrow morning i was like oh yeah i'd love to you know i i gotta tell you my sponsor i love this guy i love this guy like an older brother like i looked up to him you know i revered what what he stood for because of the adversity that he had overcome and his stature he was very well known in that fellowship a lot of people knew him he had a high level of integrity and, um, I liked being associated with that. And so of course, you know, my boys are like, they know who he was, you know, Oh my God, you know, that's your sponsor. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, playing a big shot, you know, there's this thing that happens in sobriety when you, when you have a tendency to thinking you got shit figured out, you get right sized. And, uh, most of the time it follows along the lines of humiliation. So I met my sponsor for breakfast. And uh, he'd already eaten, and the waitress came up to give me a menu. He said, "He won't need that." And I was like, "Come on, bro! I just woke up. I had at least a cup of coffee." He goes, "No, this won't take long." And he pushed a handful of bills, money, towards me. He said, "Why don't you go get loaded?" And I'm thinking, man, it's kind of early to be joking around like that. I want to push the money back. Like, come on, what do you what do you want to talk about? And he slams his hand down on the table. He tells me, "Why don't you go get loaded?" He says, "I'm not kidding." He's. What are you doing here? He said, do you do you think people didn't know what you were doing last night? Here we are, at this five star hotel that they're allowing a bunch of recovering addicts and alcoholics to come to to celebrate their sobriety. And you do that. This is your example. This is what you're going to do. This you're our emissary of. What it's like to be sober? He said, Listen, go get high. So I don't have time for this shit. And I'm like, what? One little mistake? He said, one little mistake. You think kid? He goes, I know what you're doing in Fort Lauderdale. He says, people in the Tri-County area know what you're doing down there and they know who you're doing it with. This is not long before you go to prison. He says, You 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 need to get the F out of here. Because you're spreading your disease, and there's enough of that killing people out there. who don't need it in these rooms. I mean, he broke me down. That's called getting right-sized, Ricky. Tick, and I—I uh, uh, I was in tears because uh, you know, I—I—I I, I had a uh, a a safety with him because I knew he knew what he was doing, and I would never have to go back to that lifestyle that I was already creating in sobriety again. Remember that hole in the soul? Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I wasn't doing. I wasn't doing the deal. I wasn't doing the work. I I just replaced it with all the old stuff, and um, and he called me out on it, and uh, I begged him. You know, uh, I'll do anything you want me to do. And he said, "Well, I think what would be best for you, is if you went to the other fellowship." And he's talking about Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm like, consider it done. He said, "I'm not kidding." And he said, "You go to the other fellowship." I want you to hang out with men that you want to grow up to be like. Moral men, you know, righteous men. And men men that have a God in their life. I was struggling with God tremendously at the time. And um, I'm a I'm a recovering Catholic for anybody else that's a Catholic out there. And uh so I I, I did. He gave me a series of suggestions and I I followed him because I was I was scared. I, I want to go back to what I left. I'm not, I'm not, you know, listen, my My pride got put in check real fast and I got brought right back to the seriousness of why I was sober. Now, this is before I had any career as a fireman. So I have been working in building construction my whole life. And, uh, you know, I. I I was working for a. uh, A developer contractor, and we would work uh, residential, commercial, and high rise. And um, I I worked from a laborer up to a project manager for this man. And prior to uh, getting sober, I was a project manager on a job, and I cost him my year's salary in one morning because I was partying with uh, a couple of girls that weekend. I didn't feel like showing up at the job, and I didn't unlock it. And there was concrete, steel, and just all kinds of laborers working, wait, skilled labor, waiting to get into work. and uh, nobody, nobody could get there before noon. I was supposed to be there at 6. And uh, I never bothered calling him or anything. I got fired. So when I got sober, I went back, and uh, I apologized. And I explained to him what I did. I made amends, which is what our steps call for. Mm-hmm. He offered me a job again, and I finished with him. The ironic part is I just took my wife to a doctor's appointment at the last building that I built for this man. It was uh, it was kind of cool walking in there and tripping through that. So in sobriety, I am thinking about what what what, what do I want to do with my life? Right, I'm working for a medical supply company. I've done a lot of different jobs, but i i couldn't I couldn't find my niche. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew. And I enjoyed helping people, but I didn't know. You know, I, 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 my kids tell me they don't know now, and I can be very patient with them because I was 30 years old at the time. Uh, I got sober at 29. I was 30 but I'm struggling. I'm like, man, what am I going to do? I'm. Not, I know I'm not going to do this building construction for the rest of my life. Not going to happen. And uh, so I worked for this medical supply company, and I drove big panel truck and I delivered hospital beds and room air concentrators oxygen sometimes I'd run medication to uh, certain facilities and uh, homes Um, you know the the portable commodes the the shower stall uh, seats um, all kinds of equipment like that crutches and canes and walkers stuff like that And uh, I was impressed with the clientele excuse me I, I couldn't stop bragging on these people it's like man, these people are so cool I go in and it's like they have this vision it's so sharp about what's important in life there's no bullshit you know it's like they just boom you know and and uh, like this clarity of how important it is to develop family and and how important it is to treat yourself right and to treat others right and, and not to focus on the, the, the silliness of, of being vindictive or getting revenge and because of the, nothing comes of that. It spoils your heart. And in the end, you, it's wasted time. I mean, these conversations I'd have with these people, they just blew me away. It was like going to a meeting. Well, let me tell you how sharp this tack was, okay? So I, I go back to the warehouse and I'm picking up equipment. I'm bringing it back. And I'm going, man, this is this got to be one of the most rewarding jobs. And, you know, warehouse manager kind of cocks his head. He goes, are you joking? I looked at him. I said, no, serious. He goes, well, what makes you say that? I said, well, I get to bring this stuff out there and meet these people and develop these relationships. And they get better. And I, I get to bring this stuff back. It just gives me hope. He said, bro, let me tell you something. He says, we deliver stuff for hospice patients. They're not getting better. They're dying. I was like it, it shut my mouth and I walked through that warehouse, kind of numb. I, I, I just didn't see that coming, you know. And so I worked there for a while longer and uh, until uh, I got to watching television one day and I saw this advertisement. There were some firemen and paramedics and stuff on there, and the, the, the switch is thrown it's like God removed the scales from my eyes and I'm I'm like holy crap that's it that's what I'm gonna do now as a child my mother would keep this little book remember now she's a Latin woman right this woman would keep locks of hair report cards my aspirations since I was able to talk right and you can see where it dropped off when I started becoming a problem was like seventh eighth grade you know and so up till then it was always firemen Doctor, fireman, doctor, fireman, doctor. I don't know where that came from. I didn't even, I wasn't even, I didn't even realize that until she gave me that book years later. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. And uh, it's like that switch was thrown when I saw the commercial. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna cut my hair. So for people that don't know me, my head is as bald as a baby's behind.
0: Okay. I've met you. It, it, it time, is bald. Yes. At the, at it looks time. good, though. It looks good that way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah. At, at the time, my hair was about down to the middle of my back, my lower back. And uh, I cut my hair. And And the reason I cut my hair is because I knew I could pass the entrance exam, which was the drug screening and the urinalysis test. That was That was the test I was worried about failing. Everything else I knew I could pass. And I did, and um, I was on my road to uh, the doors just opened. Um, I got a part-time job near home so I could study while I was in paramedic school, and so I got my paramedic certification and my my fire certification. And I went out looking for jobs, and I applied and I applied with Palm Beach County three or four times, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't seem to crack that nut. I kept I kept at it. And eventually got on a list was at the time there wasn't that many there was maybe 750 800 people now it's thousands you know vying for a job so um i happen to have been either the last or second to the last of the 24 people picked for this academy and I, i was the last person picked because the one person picked bailed out and they pushed me up the ladder And so I I got I got in and I went through this Academy and I I got this great job and I was living a dream I was I just loved it you know and uh from there I you know I I I went there was was a lot that we went through on the job I got stuck on a we call them a rescue it's actually it's a the the ambulance that big truck it's a like a ginormous ambulance Um, we got fire equipment on there and medical equipment so we it's a dual purpose and uh, I was stuck on there I ran rescue for about 15 years and um, I, I would say uh, three of it was before I went to Palm Beach County and then uh, another 12 was at Palm Beach County and um, that's no joke man I live in South Florida well you know we we have this a uh, we got the sense of humor in the fire service kind of dark and abrasive mm-hmm. you know so we call South Florida St. Pete's waiting room because everybody that retires comes down here to retire. You know, it's a, it's a nice place to retire. And, uh, so it just means people come down here to die, you know, and and that's the way we look at it, you know, and, and, uh, we ran, uh, we ran a a lot of that, you know, just sick and dying. And, um, it's a, a relatively mentally abusive position because you are not sleeping. Um, You know, over a period of time, that lack of sleep turns into a very abrasive personality, a very irrational thinking person. And I have uh, I have periods I have long periods of being irrational and, and, and angry, interrupted by very short periods of being happy, joyous and free. And then right around that time, I go back to work. And eventually those periods of happy joyous and free got shorter and shorter Uh, I got promoted up the ranks and um, that kind of changed things for me Uh, then a divorce came and the divorce was a catalyst for me being diagnosed with PTSD so um, there's a lot going on there uh, and I'll delve into it a little bit because I think it's important for people to recognize the importance of a family unit when that gets fractured that's your foundation the person that you're in love with that you're gonna grow old and die with the person that you're most intimate with uh, that you share children with you've created life with this person you've created a life and you've created life with this person and now when you come to this place where you realize everything you thought it was is not it wrecks your world especially when your kids are being withheld from you and it doesn't matter whether it's legal or not Um, you know the family system is flawed uh, I can speak from experience you know the judge looks at me I'm 510 uh, at the time I weighed about 228 230 pounds I was about five six percent body fat and he looks at this little blonde and right away I'm the I'm the jerk and you know she's an angel and um, everything went her way for about nine months and then things changed. so the, the point is that uh, I don't care how strong you are mentally there's an emotional and a spiritual aspect to the attack that you may or have already come under and if we don't know how to prepare to fight that battle because conventional weaponry is useless in it um, you will succumb to it become a statistic that we have in our in our in our disciplines for every line of duty death there are three suicides Mm-hmm. And that holds true for the military, law enforcement. I don't care what initial it is, whether it's FBI, CIA, um, the Treasury, you know, the fire service, um, EMS. The, the statistic is the same all the way across. Yeah, it is. And, uh, so uh, how ironic is that the sirens go off in the background right then. And uh, <clears throat> so I um, I got diagnosed with PTSD. And uh, not a moment too soon because um, there were two times that I acquainted myself with gun, the taste of gun oil and one was before I got sober. That's how desperate I was. And the other time was during this period of a divorce because uh, the anxiety had gotten so bad. I had developed this anxiety and this irrational thinking. So I, I couldn't sleep past 3, 3.30 in the morning and I'd be awake. And I'm like, what is wrong with you, bro? There's something wrong. You hear the the self-talk. Something's wrong with you. You're not normal. And, um, you know, you tell yourself something consistently enough and long enough. You know, your name may as well be Nostradamus because it's going to come true. And um, the emotional swings, I, I, I could go from, you know, joy and adulation to, you know, just tremendous sadness you know just the melancholy was so deep and and the fits of crying and then laughing and, uh, and the anxiety I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't even put a sheet over my, my face without getting claustrophobic I couldn't lay on my stomach without getting claustrophobic so keeping a mask on my face has become a challenge at work now and um, it's very emasculating because uh, you know back in the day I was the man. I was the guy. If it was ugly, I wanted to go. I, if, it's, if it was tight, if it was hard, dirty work, I'm in, I'm your guy. you know and I prided myself on that. and and I, I love to rise to the challenge. you know I love to work with a team and share that kind of thing with them, you know, and just you know like-minded, let, just give it everything we got. I had that I had that, that dumb image of you go I go, you know, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world it's not just if you go I go what about your wife what about your kids what about my family what about our loved ones what about our friends That's so reckless it's such a reckless you know attitude mm-hmm. I, I get it I get the whole Hollywood thing but you know what it's bullshit it's bullshit you know um, so I uh, I get diagnosed quite by accident that was the second time I familiarized my taste myself with the taste of gun oil and I had a moment of clarity and I thought oh wait a minute who's gonna raise these kids because my I, I, I met my ex in a meeting and um, she was no longer sober she had relapsed long before the divorce which kind of it was a series of events that occurred prior to that my daughter was assaulted and uh, my wife had accumulated the traumas of her life never never really dealt with them and so when that happened that was the trigger that that just shattered her world and, um, the cheese slid right off her cracker and she had never been the same since. And, um, to this day, she, she, uh, you know, I pray for her every day, but you know, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that about that. For well, uh, that's okay. I got a, I got a wonderful woman in my life now that just, man, I got a serious upgrade. It, incredible. My kids call her mom. You know, it, it's a, it's amazing between the both of us. We share six children. Uh, so, <clears throat> I uh, I got diagnosed with uh, PTSD quite by accident with, uh, by my kid's uh, psychologist. I went through this thing that uh, they call exposure therapy, mm-hmm. and it absolutely sucked for about eight months, but it was probably the best thing I could have ever done. And uh, during that period of time, I was asked to... Come and work at a buddy of mine's rehab. A friend of mine had opened up a rehab. South Florida is like a mecca for rehabs. I it don't is. get that. Yeah. I don't know what that's like. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting a freaking halfway house or a, a recovery center or a rehab or something around here. Well,
0: because it's sunny yeah. down there. I'm up in the northeast. It gets it gets cold up here. You don't want to be in treatment in January up here. <laughs> I uh-huh. want to go to Florida.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it doesn't help the depressive state no. much.
0: No. The sun doesn't come out.
1: No. So I, uh, I would go to speak at his rehab and, uh, he's like, man, you got, you got this great story. I think people need to hear it. And I'm like, all right. And it just wasn't clicking for me. And he was paying me really good. And, um, I felt so guilty at this time. I had gone back to church and I was, uh, I was taking my paycheck and probably uh, three-quarters of it I was giving it to uh, to the church that I still go to I know that sounds crazy but I was already making money I didn't really need it and, and it was just such an extremely generous amount I was like this is terrible I can't do this like I quit after three months I quit I told myself I can't do this problem it, do, it doesn't feel right you know from a guy that would roll drug dealers in the street and take their money to a guy that is doing a job and working and saying, "Yeah, this doesn't feel right. It's not moral. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened." Okay, that's just the that's the touch of a master is what that is. So, um, he diagnoses me with PTSD. I'm doing this thing there. I'm going to meetings. I'm working on how to overcome these anxieties. I get turned on to this guy. He's a military psychologist Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman oh and, yeah uh,
0: I've, I've met Dave Grossman
1: yep I know yeah 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 good guy great guy so uh, I, I read his book I'll give you a quick story on that I read his book and his breathing got me got me I was like I got hope again and I recognized it this time I was like okay this is familiar. i have been here before in my life, you know, when I got sober and then I got the hope when on the second step and all that. And I was like, okay, I know, I know where I'm at. This is familiar. I'm on the right track. And so I continued to stalk this man until I found out what his home phone number was. And I called him I ended up speaking to his, I think it was his accountant and he wanted to know how I got the number because they thought they'd scrubbed, you know, the, the web with all of his contact info. And, uh, I'm thinking, I hold all the cards, right? Yeah, no. How about his cell phone and I'll give you the the website? Like, I don't have any wiggle room in this. It was just, but I was desperate. I needed to talk to him because I know he held a key. And um, so I I gave him, I I think it was OptiSense is the website it was on. And I gave it to him and he's given me his email address because at the time, Dave didn't give his cell phone out. It was just for family. So you contacted him by email and he would reply quickly, he told me. So as he's giving me the email address, I'm typing it into an email. He replied, I swear to God, I no longer hit the scent and I had a return email. Is this my sheepdog in South Florida, my fireman sheepdog? And I started <laughs> laughing. I was like, this is incredible. I said, he just emailed me back. He said, I told you. He said, hey, Rick, thanks very much. He said, uh, lose this number. I said, done. And so, uh, developed a, you know, I've never met the man, but, but I have a relationship with him mm-hmm. and, uh, my partner in Canada, I developed a company called tactical resiliency training. And, uh, my partner in Canada was going to a, uh, he wanted, his wife is, uh, uh she's on the police force up in, uh, Peterborough and she's also on the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. So she's this, uh, she's this high performing Woman, you know, and and uh, Dave's like, yeah, Grossman's coming up. My wife had tickets. She could have got tickets. She doesn't want to go to listen to some guy talk about, you know, whatever. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's Dave Grossman. And so <laughs> I, I, I reached out to him to Dave. I said, hey, my partner's in Peterborough where you're doing his class. He really wants to go and see you. He said, no problem. He said, send an email, call this number. And I called them. They said, tell him to come up. It'll be. A, we'll call the ticket. So Dave hooked him up, and my partner Dave. Goes to see him, introduces himself, talks with him. I'm like jealous, right? And then he's telling me about a month later, he's going, Hey, man, he goes, You're not going to believe this. I just took this uh, large animal hunt class and it was just three of us. It was incredible. I said, Really? He goes, Yeah, it was this guy and his son. And, and me. And I go, that's awesome, bro. He goes, you know what's even more awesome? I go, what? He goes, it was Lieutenant Colonel Grossman and his son in the class with me. I was like, you suck, bro. I can't <laughs> believe this, you know? So, well, Grossman was one of the people that helped me piece my life together by learning techniques to be able to control my arousal levels, my arousal levels being My thought processing, my uh, emotional swings, my physical acceleration, uh, the homeostasis that occurs, which is rapid heart rate, high blood pressure, rapid respiratory rate. And so uh, it was on and I started teaching that stuff. And at the time I was uh, I was an instructor. I was was, was teaching all over the country. I, I still am in performance, but this took me in a different direction and performance because I was able to put my life back together and finish the last 10 years of my career strong. And, um, you know, as compared to where I was at the time and, um, you know, you get older, you ain't never going to perform the way you used to. It just doesn't work like that. And so, uh, during this whole process, I, uh, I had been struggling with God and this is the piece that I wanted to get to because it is the most important piece and um i know we're running this is running long and i apologize um i i uh i didn't i didn't believe in god i, I grew up as a, a a catholic and and i i got beat up a lot by the nuns and the priests and i don't mean like you know they would try to take my lunch money i mean it was a uh, don't ask questions just do what we tell you to do and i wasn't getting any answers and it was um i didn't i was like that's not that's not my god i don't want a god like that and, uh, so I was left kind of lost and, and drifting. And when, uh, during my divorce, I, I went to the Bible and started reading it. I couldn't put it down. It, uh, I kind of read like a spiritual adventure, you know? I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. But there was, I didn't really know, I didn't have much referencing and a baseline on it. So I'm just reading it for the first time, you know? And, and, uh, It it really left an impression on me. That led me to going to a church, which is a Calvary Chapel near here. And the the pastor um, was one of us, and he talked about his life that he used to have, and and how difficult it was, but how much easier, you know, how much easier it is for him now because he's got this relationship with God. They kept talking about this relationship, this relationship, and I'm like, holy crap, that's what the eleventh step is. You know, through prayer and meditation, to improve my conscious contact with God and my ability to recognize His will for me and the power to carry that wow. out. Thinking, oh, sh- okay, I see what you did there. You know, as I <laughs> point up to the sky, mm-hmm. and and uh, so I went on this path. Um, I was at the station 33 at the time, and I'm in church, and my uh my 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 current wife, uh, he the the pastor's talking about a men's ministry. It's a it's a Bible study, men's Bible study. And uh, talking about, uh, you know how, you know it's important for men to be able to lead their families. If you can't lead your families and raise your children properly, how you expect it to be a pillar of the community? How you expect it to lead people that are lost? How you expect it to recognize those that are lost? How can you console them? How can you direct them in the proper direction? How do you how do you increase you know the value of your life? How do you have a value on other people's? I mean, he's hitting us with all this leadership stuff. I'm like, oh, man, he got my attention. I like this. He goes, and it's called 33. That was the name of the class, 33. My wife leans over. She goes, ever get the feeling that God's talking right to you? <laughs> I started laughing because it felt like he hit me right between the eyes with a two-by-four. And uh, and that started it, man. I started going to this class. There was actually a former FBI agent in that class, another fireman. There was a cop. Uh, there was a guy that was... Uh, He was released from prison. He had a life sentence was released from prison in there I mean, it was a a eclectic group and spread across the board and it was the greatest group of knuckleheads man I mean God has put me in with some really good people and um, I started to develop this relationship and um, I tell this story Because I'm 34 years sober, but it wasn't until I was around 20 years sober that it all really started to kick in that whole time I was on a journey seeking and I know that in hindsight so for anybody that's struggling with it that's fine the the struggle is part of it it's the refinement process you know because what he had in store for me working with other men and women that have PTSD in the industry that you were talking about I I do a couple of groups at um, FHE Health in a program called Shatterproof And, and I work with uniformed personnel And I'm able to help them and I can speak with authority and integrity because I've experienced those things and then the cancer came I was not shocked because I was it was just it was not am I gonna get cancer it's I am gonna get cancer it's just a matter of when and what kind and I got it was colon cancer and um, fortunately because I had regular checkups they caught it very early it was a surgical cure but I knew right away where I was I had been here before and I did not feel hopeless I had this relationship with God and I trusted it and it turns out a very dear friend of mine across the state right across the road called Alligator Alley takes you from the East Coast to the West Coast and uh, my buddy Mark Weiss um, had developed pancreatic cancer and um, I was able to be there for him because I could also understand what it was like to have that diagnosis and to have your own mortality questioned and to make these arrangements and all the things that you'd left undone to try to do them and all this other stuff you know and so I I, I was with him till uh, till he died and um, it was uh, you know and I've, I've been with other men that have had cancer, as, uh, you know as a result but it it was a lot easier because it that process had happened so many times throughout my life that refinement you know why i was such a good fireman and why i was such a good instructor because of the construction that i was involved in prior to me getting to to me getting hired the reason i worked in the hood and was able to relate to people and get along with them is because i was one of those hood rats before i got sober he has used every aspect of my life for his glory it's it just blows my mind i i you can't make this stuff up man you know, and, and then he breaks me again and well, he doesn't break me, but he allows me to get broken again with the PTSD. And I end up developing this course will be, and I I teach these classes around the country on performance and mental health. And one thing has led to the other, all of it, all of it has got God's fingerprints all over. He gets all the glory. I'm just a mouthpiece, man. I got a high school education. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I read neuroscience papers, research and stuff. And I, I, I'm like a geek. I can't get enough of this stuff, you know? And I understand a lot of it. I sit on boards and I just look around and go, these people all have to be wondering why in the hell is this guy here? You know? And I, I have no answers and I don't care. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Cause I serve one master. I don't serve multiple masters. I serve one master. And, uh, you know, he has opened up doors for me and blessed me in ways that I don't deserve. Mike, when I got sober, I didn't get justice. I got mercy. And that was all of his yeah. hands. You know. Yeah. So the, the whole, if you're going to walk away with anything from this, we talked about the physical and the mental side. There's a lot of people that can help you with that. But what about your emotional? How do you emotionally regulate and how do you feed your soul? Because if you're just empty inside, it doesn't matter what you learn. You're still empty inside and you have to feed your soul. And so that was a big, big piece for me. And I'm going to end it there because I know this is running long. And um, that, that's, uh, yeah, that's a good spot to end right there. Well, Thanks let me if you don't, don't
0: mind, me. let me ask you a couple of follow-up questions. Do you have, do you have a couple sure. of minutes left?
1: of course i do i
0: got plenty of time well let me just say one more time okay this episode is sponsored by fhe health and we've been talking about fhe health here great program um uh we we both uh work down there and work with those great folks and and they've been providing life-changing behavioral health services for more than 20 years and they treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach recognizing the specialized treatment needs of the first responder community they've created shatterproof a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions for employment. FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients, for their families, and for our community. So learn more at FHEhealth.com. So with that, Rick, um, I will tell you, and maybe you've run into something similar, and I, and I see this enough at 12-step meetings that I'm, I'm sure you have. Um mm-hmm. I I have I've developed a tremendous faith in my own life and my own recovery and and you have as well you you talked about that very very eloquently here in this podcast. Uh I run into so many people um they come into treatment and I'm I'm currently working at a treatment center in Maryland and I I just the hostility towards uh anything spiritual anything Religious? Any? Any? Have you? I'm sure you've run into that. And the oh, thing yeah. is, you know, with twelve step meetings, the people are like, "Well, what else do you got?" Because I know you're going to try to sell me on God. And and I, to me, I struggle with that because I did not come into this. To be honest with you, I didn't come into sobriety over religious. I, I would. I was probably more. If you would have asked me, I would have told you I was a religious person, but I didn't really understand what what spirituality was, to be honest with you, until after I got into recovery. But people, it's not even like they're not interested. They're almost hostile towards it. But if you get any length of sobriety, and just about everybody I know that gets any length of sobriety, talks about how the spiritual part of their life is really what brought them to that point. So how do you, Rick, what... What do you say to that or to say to somebody that's new? Somebody that's listening right now, how would you address that?
1: I uh I did a, a lecture on performance in front of about seven hundred and fifty firemen in Portland, Oregon. And um and I started talking about God and I started seeing twitching their seats, you know? Like suddenly it makes them got, uncomfortable,
0: doesn't like, it? Show. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I and I stopped and I looked at them. And I see some of y'all a little uncomfortable when I start talking about God. I said, Well, listen, it's just part of my story and it's my story and it's directly relevant to what we're doing up here on performance I said now please don't don't let that interfere with your ability to come up to me afterwards and talk to me about performance okay just because I talk about God it's not like it's an STD you ain't gonna get it just because I'm talking about it
0: okay <laughs> it's not infectious and, yeah
1: and and uh, I, I just let people know that you know what I get it man I get it. I would encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. You don't, because you got to find your way. Everybody's got to find their way. I mean, you know, here I am 20 some years in sobriety, still struggling with that. And I end up developing this relationship that I've been missing all along. But God had to refine me to get me to that point. Now I can recognize it. I don't expect others to recognize it. I tell them, I said, listen, if you're going to live a spiritual principle, if you're going to live a spiritual life, because they're like, oh, no, no. They got this cute saying. Religion is for people that are scared to go to hell. And spirituality is for people that have been there. And I just look at them like, what's a spiritual program? What is spirituality? And you you can hear a pin drop. And what what I'm going to tell everybody out there, if you want to live a spiritual life and you're having a substance abuse issue, when you go to Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or any of the, you know, a A N A O A G A, maybe even AAA, A, okay, that they all have these twelve steps. And those twelve steps have principles behind them. Honesty, open-mindedness, willingness, forgiveness, love, peace, service. They have all these spiritual principles. That is living a spiritual life. Spirituality is an intangible that that affects you. It is a virtue. And virtues is what creates character. And leaders have strong moral character. Otherwise you're just a manager. There's no getting around it. Yeah. There's no getting around it. The foundation of leadership is character. If you're going to lead your family, you have to have strong character, moral character. That's what's right. The what is right part is important. Because you could be with a band of 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 pirates and their their principles are completely different than a group of Buddhist monks, you know? Um the principles depending on who you're with. You know, but to live a spiritual life, you know, the journey to find God is different for everybody, and not everybody gets it or has to. Whatever, I don't know. I, uh, I, well, I, don't I know when sure. I, well, like, I
0: know when I talk to people, Rick, and th- this is maybe uh, kind of a, a different sort of interesting take on this as well is when I hear people say to me that they don't want to, or because the other thing that you hear about 12-step programs is it, it's a cult. You know, I've heard that before. And I'm sure you have as well.
1: I tell them, um, hell yeah, yeah. Well, but <laughs> so those a
0: fire I, service. <laughs> it's, the only thing is, the the other cult, you go drink something and you all die. And in our That's cult, right. they teach <laughs> us not to drink the Kool Aid because the, I was drinking the Kool Aid and it was killing me. But you know, here is an interesting thing: is when I tell people when they when they say that they don't want to worship anything or anyone. What I tell them is, you were already doing that. I mean, I, I don't know That's about correct. you, but in my case, right. alcohol, I was worshiping the bottle. And let, let's let's be honest, it was worshiping the bottle. My wife that used my to guy. say, um, you know, I'm not your wife. The bottle is your wife. You know, it it, dicta- yep. it told me what to do. It told me when to get up in the morning. It told me whether I was traveling, whether I wasn't traveling. Um, whether I was going to get promoted or not promoted. Am I going to go to that meeting? If uh, I, right. w- When did I take an airplane? What time did I take an airplane? Where was I taking an airplane? It drove my life. And what's interesting is we actually refer, think about this, we refer to alcohol as spirits. You know, you've seen these stores, right? The sign says wine right. and spirits. Well, what's a spirit? A spirit is an entity, right? And right. it's a being, um, a spirit is not an inanimate object. And I've always found that, that, that kind of interesting because, uh, and how many times have you been to a 12-step meeting where people have said, hey, giving up alcohol or drugs was like going through a divorce? Well, you divorce a person. You don't divorce a thing. So what I say to people is you were already in that cult worship before, and you didn't have any problem with that. But now we we say come over here and we can teach you the way and the light and the hope and all of a sudden you're 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 like oh I can't I can't do that that seems cultish I've always found that yeah. amusing uh, what do what do you think about that
1: um, I, I I think that people don't realize how strong their cognitive biases are yeah I think I think they underestimate how strong their biases are. Um, when you have lived a particular way for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 and up years, now suddenly you got to change it. It's scary. They have lived that way so long they don't recognize the fear behind that. And that's what it is. It's fear. Well, what are you scared of because you're already killing yourself? You've already compromised your family. You're compromising your job. You've compromised yourself but the fear doesn't allow them to see that. Plus, our society has normalized this shit.
0: Yeah, they you know? do not help. The, our government and our society does not help this cause. No, it does not at all.
1: No, they've got to look at look at what they're doing with Suboxone, and and prior to Suboxone, it was uh, methadone. I mean, you know, look you're not you're let's, let's look at it from a different perspective say you're a sex addict okay and and you're a married man and you're gonna go you, you go find hookers and you stray every once in a while okay and and then your 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 wife catches you and and you're like okay I, I won't have I won't do that anymore I won't have sex with them anymore and and and, and so you stop having intercourse but you have oral sex instead look there's no difference I don't care what freaking Bill Clinton says okay if there is no difference sex outside of your marriage is sex outside of your marriage you are compromising yourself and in the pro- process you're compromising your relationship you know and in the process you're hurting others so oh well the drinking only hurts me oh is that right is that right well I, I beg to differ with that because I've seen the end results of what happens we, we uh what is today Today's Saturday, I think it was Wednesday morning. I got news that a guy that graduated from our program six months ago, he was from uh, the Colorado area, and uh, he's a fireman, and um, well liked guy. I'm sorry, Indianapolis, uh, well liked guy, and uh, he uh, he went home. He was struggling with a relationship. He was, he was cheating on his wife for three years, and he had relapsed and was drinking for three years. So he developed this relationship while he was under the influence of his new God okay and um, in rehab he realized what he had done wrong and he was trying to reconcile with her but then the urges became strong again when he left and he opened the door again with the woman that he was involved with for three years and the wife and her um, have. They're, there I, I probably shouldn't tell the story but I'm going to because it's important um, And it's only been six months. There's a confrontation. So the guy goes out to his truck, grabs his weapon, comes back into the house and blows his brains out right in front of both of them. This is where we end up. It's a one-way road. Evil evil is evil. I don't care. You you know, and you work in our line of work. You see it. You see it. If you believe in evil, there has to be good. Just walk away with that one right there and, and... Try to catch yourself. This is a very insidious disease, it, and it, it works in the mind, and 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 it leaves you in what they call spiritual maladies in our literature. And so, listen, Alcoholics Anonymous has done what doctors could not do for the alcoholic, and here we are years later there's not so many people in the Bowery and this and that. they have an option so it's what they call they raise the bottom so people actually can get sober and manage their lives again and have long-term incredible lives so they can't be wrong maybe it's, you know it's that cognitive bias people just aren't aware of it you know and, it, and it's you see it in the movies they glamorize it it's not a glamorous lifestyle It's not. It's not. And if you're questioning it right now and you're listening to the show and you're even wondering for a second, I got news for you. You got a problem. You got a problem. You should fix it. You should fix it. Always face your problems. Never turn your back on your problem. Never turn your back on your enemy. Always face it. You know? And and it's a winnable fight. It's a winnable fight. But the way that our people are killing themselves, bro, this is terrible. And if, if we were just taught... The things that we're talking about, it goes a little more in depth, um, ladies and gentlemen. But, but uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous opens the door for a lot of growth and <coughs> a lot of people. It alters lives, um, and you know, maybe you don't have an alcohol problem. Maybe you have a mental health problem. Um, so if if you take a drunken horse thief and you sober him up, you still got a horse thief, right? You take a drunken idiot, sober him up. You still got an idiot. Everything that occurs is that six inches of real estate between your ears. It needs, I remember calling my dad and telling him, man, you got to get me out of this treatment center. They're trying to brainwash me. My dad, he says, uh, son, you don't need a brainwashing. You need a pressure cleaning. You need a thorough scrubbing, you know? <laughs> That's right. And, well, and, and I'll tell you it, something
0: else too, that if if I've been brainwashed in this program well, my life has gotten about a thousand percent better in, in the last Amen. nine and a half years. And so maybe that wasn't such a, a bad thing. Maybe maybe we need a
1: little brainwashing. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I, I stumbled into everything I have done, which is just further proof that even a blind mouse finds cheese sometimes. You know, I mean, I, I have been led and I've come to this understanding and, uh, and, uh, and it's a deeper level of understand now now if somebody were to ask me oh your your life is trouble-free oh no son, oh, no. hardly hardly I mean I'll get off this phone I could have a drink get off this phone this is a this is a program of vigilance you know you have to be vigilant you're 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 this is a spiritual battle man this is this is a battle I said it earlier conventional weaponry will not help you in this battle you better arm yourself appropriately and if you think you got it so figured out, I'm not quite sure why you're listening to this.
0: Yeah, because, that is, you know, that is so well said. That is so well said. And you know, Rick, I, I really, I, I've enjoyed this this conversation. I this has cool. been I'm fantastic. Glad. I really appreciate you coming on.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, just I...
0: one last one last one last takeaway. Just give us one bit of advice to anybody that's listening and struggling right now.
1: Oh man, you are not alone oh i know what it's telling you in your head you suck don't tell anybody um i know i i I was prepared to become a statistic rather than let anybody know and i was sober it's when i had my ptsd and so it's the mental rewiring of the brain you are not alone quite frankly you're normal you're you're you just don't have the tools combat what you're up against you're frustrated you're at a dead end don't feel defeated this is the this is the end of that chapter and the beginning of a new one you know give yourself a chance what do do you got to lose what do you have to lose you know i'm not going to give up my dignity man you gave that up a long time ago yeah you know learn learn how to get it back you know something or someone or some circumstance has doubled your shine. You know, there you have an opportunity to get that shine back, you know, to put that hope back in your life. You're you're not alone. That's just how it starts. This is how it starts. The beginning. The end of that life, the beginning of a new one. You just gotta be you just commit yourself, man. So That's Rick, a terrible if, place. if
0: anybody uh if they want to reach out to you or your company, um, do you have some contact sure. information you could throw out
1: to the listeners? Sure. Um, I'll give you a bunch of contact info. So you can find um our Facebook page is Tactical Resiliency Training. Uh, we're in the process of getting a web page put together so that we can get off the social media and just run our own platform. And um, uh, my email address is Rick J, R I C, by the way. It's spelled R I C J at pro uh, R I C J 954 at protonmail.com. And uh, my phone number is 561. 561- three nine one nine zero eight. Could you give that phone number one more time? Of course. 561-239-1908.
0: Why not? Okay. Well, I this has been fantastic for the listeners, and I know that this is going to be just valuable information for many people out there that are listening. And, and thank you so much, for, Rick, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it.
1: Mike, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. I love the service that you're doing with this, and the way that you're helping people is amazing. Love it, um, love it.
0: Well, you're 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 helping so many people as well, folks. And and reach out to Rick and and get as much information as you can. And certainly, if you need any training done at your agency or group church, whoever you have, um, reach reach out. Reach out. And folks, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health, and according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty, so find out more at FHEHealth.com. So as always, I'd like to say that I don't represent any group. Now, I know we talk about groups that are on here, and we obviously, Rick and I, both are members of uh, uh, various member uh, members or, or fellowship groups, not just one, but multiple. And certainly, certainly, certainly get out and check out one of the 12-step programs that are out there or any other program that's out there that can help you. Um, because like Rick talked about, you know, any whenever we get new information, it replaces the old information that we have. So please do that. So uh, my only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've done and, and the same with Rick because it's helped us and maybe it will help you too. So if uh, Rick or I have said something that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with it, then just discard it. But try to take any information you can use for yourself and help others as well because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to others as well and so with that please visit our facebook page which is recovery is possible and our website vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com and let me know how i'm doing and let me know if there's any topic that you're interested in hearing because i'd love to hear from you and we have some great episodes coming up for you in the next uh, few weeks so take care and i'll see you next time